you would, please open your Bibles to Proverbs 26. We have already this morning read this great chapter. When the book of Proverbs speaks of a fool, it's describing someone who's not a believer in God. The fool, according to the book of Proverbs, disdains everything about God. He is entirely in pursuit of himself and all of his own interests. I think this is an important point to make because unless you're very careful, you can wrongly assume that these verses which describe a fool are referring to anyone who acts foolishly which frankly describes all of us from time to time. Acting foolishly on occasion in life is, however, a much different thing than being characterized as a fool. For one who is characteristically and habitually a fool, Solomon depicts a man who is without a right relationship with God and who conducts his life without regard to God's law. In short, a fool is a person who doesn't love the Lord. He's a man who isn't a Christian, who exhibits an entire life of foolishness. But I suppose we could ask the question this morning, what kinds of characteristics make up the life of a fool? What exhibits a fool in our world? And I suspect if we were to gain an answer to that question, it would challenge us to determine whether or not we're a fool, a non-Christian, an unbeliever. So this is a message today about salvation, salvation from a life of foolishness. And wise old King Solomon wants his sons to be duly warned about the traits which paint the portrait of a fool. And to do so, we're going to look this morning at how Solomon paints a portrait of ten characteristics of a fool. Ten characteristics of a fool. This is a portrait which Solomon carefully paints of the life of of a fool. Here they are. Characteristic number one. Fools should never be honored. Fools should never be honored. Look at Proverbs 26 verses 1 and 8. Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Verse 8. Like one who binds the stone in the sling is one who gives honor to a fool. As anyone knows, especially those who have lived in a Mediterranean climate like Palestine, it was not fitting and certainly was not normal to have snow come in the summertime or rain in the time of harvest. It just didn't happen. 
And it would not only be strange and rare, extremely rare, for something like this to occur, but also virtually unthinkable. It would be shocking. And even further, to experience rain, especially in the time of harvest, with the harvest of crops, it could possibly mean even the very destruction of those crops. And so it would not only be unthinkable, but destructive for something like that to happen, especially in the time of a harvest. And Solomon says, likewise, it is utterly unthinkable and potentially destructive for a fool to be honored. Yes, it's true that the world of fools will seek to honor each other, and there's nothing that we as Christians can do about that. They're going to parade each other along the award line in a ceremony. They're going to give honor to all of the fools around them because they're fools, and we can't do anything about that. But we should ourselves be very, very careful not to grant honor to those fools who don't deserve any honor. It would be about as bizarre as snow in the summertime. That's his point. It would be about as unthinkable and potentially even destructive to give a fool a level of honor that he doesn't deserve. It just wouldn't be right. So don't honor a fool. He doesn't need it. He shouldn't have it. He doesn't deserve it. He shouldn't merit it. And for the very fact that he is a fool means that he shouldn't be honored at all because they disregard the God of all honor. You see, that's the point. If a fool is a fool and therefore he shouldn't be honored, he shouldn't be honored by anyone, especially by some of God's servants who are supposed to be honoring those who really should be honored and not a fool because he shouldn't be honored at all. Honor should come to those who honor the Lord Jesus Christ, who honor the Lord with all of their lives. They're the ones who should really be honored. And of course we know that we're probably not going to get any of that kind of honor in this world. We'll be honored in the next. So don't honor a fool. Don't do it at all because fools don't deserve it. Look back at Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41 for a little bit of an illustration of this. Genesis 41. You remember... In the account of Genesis 41, specifically in verse 38, remember when Joseph himself interpreted the dreams aright? And in verse 38, then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Now here was an example of a man who was honored. And why was he honored? Because he was in God's stead. He was an interpreter. God gave him a gift. 
gift. God honored him and Pharaoh honored him as a result. Verse 42, Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed before him, Bow the knee. And he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh honored Joseph because he should have been honored. He merited that honor. He was no fool. He was a godly man. He was an honorable man. You remember Daniel in Daniel chapter 6? You remember the, the account of Daniel who was honored? You remember that it's, it's Daniel who stood head and shoulders above the crowd? You remember in Daniel 6 verses 1 to 3 that he was even rising above all of his contemporaries? Why? Because he was an honorable man. He should have been honored. Absolutely. He was honorable and should have been honored. That's why Romans 13, 7 says, Honor to whom honor is due. That's why in Luke 16, 10 Jesus said, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. You see, you can tell whether or not you're a fool by the way honor either comes to you or does not. And for the godly who are honoring themselves by Giving honor to whom honor is due, that's righteous and right. And even sometimes those who are honorable are even honored by those who aren't believers, like Pharaoh did to Joseph, like the pagans did to Daniel. Now it is true, as I said, that there are those who are going to honor each other as non-Christians, as fools, and certainly that will come about. But you know what Solomon's driving toward here? He's driving toward this. Don't be a fool in which honor is not fitting. It's not fitting. It doesn't fit who you are. It doesn't fit your character. And there are reams of biblical examples and illustrations of those who weren't honorable. They were foolish people. They didn't love the Lord. They didn't have Christ. They weren't doing honorable things. And either in this life or in the life to come, they received what they deserved. In fact, do you remember Haman who died on the, the gallows that he himself constructed? I mean, he charged those gallows to be constructed for the purpose of his own nefarious deeds and Haman himself hung there in effigy as the dishonorable man. He got what he deserved. He was a fool. Don't be like Haman. Look at Proverbs 26, verse 8. Like the one who binds a stone in a sling, so is he who gives honor to a fool. It's very similar to verse 1. It's the idea that honor for a fool is not fitting. It doesn't work. It's not effective. It's just like somebody who, as Solomon depicts it here, either binds or ties 
or sews a stone somehow into the sling, the slingshot, so that when someone goes to project the stone out of the sling, it doesn't work. It's not effective. Why? Because the stone just stays in there. It's bound in there. It's tied in there. It doesn't work. It's ineffective. So Solomon says, just like a fool who's honored by someone it doesn't fit. Now, some believe that this particular proverb, it's a little bit difficult to translate, might actually be instead of the idea of one stone in a sling that's somehow lodged in there and it's not being able to be dislodged to be effective, to hit its target, some translate that and maybe even some of your translations may say a heap of stones. What would Solomon mean there? Well, what he means there is somebody who tries to take more than one stone, a heap of stones, and puts them in the sling and tries to be as effective as if one stone were in there. It doesn't really matter which metaphor Solomon originally used. The point is this, a sling that is designed for the purpose of taking one stone and hitting the target, if you don't do anything other than that, it won't be effective, it won't hit its target, it's not right, it isn't fitting. And that's what he's saying. A fool is a fool because he doesn't deserve the honor. And it's not fitting for you to give honor to an ineffective, unwise person. Remember, Solomon's teaching his sons. And he's teaching them not to honor those for whom honor is not due. I gave you some positive examples, didn't I, from Joseph's life, uh, from Daniel. I gave you a negative example from Haman. Here's another couple of negative examples. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 2. Do you remember Eli's sons? 1 Samuel 2.12 says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And the custom of the priests with the people... When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw." If the man said to him, they must surely burn the fat first and then take as much as you desire, then he would say, no, but you shall give it to me now. And if not, I will take it by force. Verse 17, thus the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. Verse 22, now Eli was very old and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. He said to them, why do you do such things? The evil things that I hear from all these people know my sons for the report is not good which I hear the Lord's people circulating. These were fools, wicked men. And yet they were elevated by their own father to the priesthood He knew all along that they were wicked. He'd heard the reports from the people of God. He should never have elevated them. And if you read the narrative of 1 Samuel any further, you know this. God judged Eli, judged his house forever. And he says, I did it because you did not rebuke your sons, i.e., you did not rebuke them as a pattern. 
Honor is not fitting for a fool. And they were honored to the very place of the priesthood of Israel and didn't deserve it. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 8. It's another example. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Israel, of course, demanded a king. And in chapter 8, verse 1, And it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah, and they were Uh, They were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. Wicked, foolish sons. They had no business being honored. No business being elevated. Has not the book of Proverbs shown us that already? Chapter 10, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a what? Grief to his mother. Don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Chapter 17, verse 21. He who sires a fool does so to his sorrow And the father of a fool has no joy. Verse 25, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Maybe most succinctly stated Proverbs 19.13, the first part, A foolish son is destruction to his father. Fools don't deserve honor. Second characteristic, fools seek to curse the righteous. Look at verse 2 of Proverbs 26. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, so a curse without cause does not alight. What's he saying? Well, Solomon is telling his sons that someone, and presumably because of the context here, a fool is seeking to curse the righteous but he won't be successful in his attacks. Uh, Just like a a little bird, a little sparrow is always flitting around. I even thought of the analogy of a hummingbird, right? Just flitting around constantly in motion, uh, but doesn't land as it were. That's the point. It's not the illustration is perfect. It breaks down, of course, because ultimately birds do land somewhere. But here's the point. Just like a sparrow that's flitting, uh, just like a swallow that's flying around, it's not going to alight. It's not going to land. The curse against the righteous by the fool, it's not going to stick. It's not going to stay. It's not going to have any effect. Why? I mean, some people, of course, don't want any bad things to be said about them. Who would? And even from a fool, but what do we say in our own vernacular today? Well, just consider the what? Source. Just consider the source. People knowing someone to be a fool, they're not inclined to believe there's any substantiation to the curse. And frankly, this may even be more important back then than it is to us now because when someone spoke a curse... They even believed in the ancient world that there was some reality to a curse. Someone who was going to curse another person, they believed more often than not that it was destined to come true. 
And here's a fool who can't stand being around the righteous and they want to curse the righteous. And Solomon wants to tell his sons, it's not going to stick, sons. It's not going to last. It's not going to have its substantiation. Not so. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 23 says this. Deuteronomy chapter 23 verses 3 to 5. This is is an encouragement against all fools by God. No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord. Why? Because they did not meet you with food and water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. In other words, instead of ministering to you, they cursed you. Verse 5, Nevertheless, the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. You see, the Lord loves righteousness and He loves the righteous and He's not going to allow the curses, the attacks, the verbal assaults of foolish people to stick on you. It's a great encouragement. And it's also a warning to the fool about cursing the righteous. He's the one who's going to be judged, not the righteous. Fools should not receive honor. And fools seek to curse the righteous, but they won't stick. Third characteristic, fools need constant punishment. Verse 3. Fools need constant punishment. Punishment. Notice this. A whip is for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. It's almost as though Solomon's saying, all three of these are natural. They just go together. A whip is for the horse. You know, at that time, horses, just like in our own day, especially those who grow up in the wild, have to be trained. They have to be restrained. They're wild horses. You have to whip them. You have to get them into shape. You have to train them heartily. You have to work at it. And like a donkey, a beast of burden, sometimes he doesn't want to do everything that you want him to do. And you have to take a bit or a bridle and you have to put it in his mouth, in between his teeth. And you have to jerk and pull and push. You have to negotiate until he understands because he's senseless, he's mindless, that by rote... He's got to do what you lead him to do. You've got to whip a horse. You've got to put a bit and a bridle and a donkey to get the beast of burden to do what you want him to do. And so for the fool, you have to put constantly a rod to his back. And by the way, when the Bible uses that phrase, especially in the book of Proverbs, for the back of fools, it's using a euphemistic phrase to say, for their hind end. So whether you're talking literally about chastising a foolish person on the backside like we would our young children who don't know the Lord and the rod is for the behind of them, so like a fool, spiritually speaking, metaphorically speaking, he's just like that dumb donkey where you have to put the bit and the bridle in his mouth to do what you want him to do. He's just like a horse that you have to just constantly whip because the fool is going to go his own way. He's in constant demand of punishment because he's not going to do what you want him to do. And the Lord uses this in a couple of occasions. Psalm 32, 
You know that penitential psalm, Psalm 32? Listen to verse 8 and following, Psalm 32. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And then this, verse 9, Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise they will not come near to you. And then he tells us who he's thinking about, of course. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Read fool in there. But he who trusts in the Lord, a believer, a Christian, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. In other words, you don't want the kind of punishment that a fool necessitates. You don't want that. Fools need constant punishment. Look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 13. Proverbs 10, 13. On the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the backside or the back of him who lacks understanding. You see, that's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. That's the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. That's the difference between a fool and a wise man. All of them speaking of the same thing. Chapter 14, verse 3. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod for his back. It's an interesting mixed metaphor there. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will protect them. And look at chapter 19, verse 29. Judgments are prepared for scoffers and blows for the back of fools. You know, you would otherwise hope that our children as fools, because that's what they are from the womb, fools, non-Christians, unbelievers, nobody's born a Christian. All who are born are born what? Fools, of course. And what do you do? The most loving, the most gracious, the most determined, the most sensible thing to do to your child is to give them the rod for their back when they are going astray. And how often will they go astray? Continually. Continually. And the rod acts as a corrective. It acts like a bit and a bridle and a donkey. It acts like the whip for the horse. You ever seen those horse races? And those jockeys are just whipping the backside of that horse to get that horse to go, to do what that jockey wants that horse to do. So it is with the rod. And yet for a fool, he has to be constantly punished. He never learns the lesson. Charles Bridges writes about this proverb in his commentary. says this, very, very good. Many such fools are in the church, self-willed, full of conceit. They need the rod and they have it. Discipline is the most probing test. What is its fruit in the child? That is the child of God, the Christian. Submission and tenderness. In the fool, hardness and rebellion. Sad indeed it is, Charles Bridges says, that the child sometimes needs the rod intended for the fool's back. Yet never does his loving father use it till gentle means have been tried in vain. In other words, your heavenly Father, if you're a true child of God, He tries every other means, and then when you don't get it, 
He gives you the chastising rod. But you get it. You get it. You ultimately, there's submission and tenderness. But for the fool, he never gets it. He never quite, quite understands. He's a fool, characteristically so. And he's always going to go astray. Bridges says, oh my God, use thine own wise means to save me from my own waywardness, folly, and ruin. Oh Lord, use whatever means at your disposal. Don't, don't let me go to hell as a fool. Don't let me do it. Fourth characteristic, fourth painting of the portrait of a fool. Fools will not listen to rebuke. Verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you also will be like him. And yet, look at verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, or as the NASB says, as his folly deserves that he not be wise in his own eyes. Now, I understand why the NASB translates these two verses like they do. But do you know in the Hebrew text, except for the word not, the first lines of both of these are precisely the same. It's something like this. Verse 4, do not answer a fool according to his folly. Verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly. I mean, that just sounds at the base of it totally contradictory. In fact, so much so that commentators through the ages have assumed that it is a contradiction, some of them. And they've tried all kinds of gymnastics with the text to try to make it say what it doesn't say. Here's what it says. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. Verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly. You say, I don't get it. Well, what does he mean? Here's what he means. I've classified these two proverbs with the principles that I've given you in the outline points. Here's one. Fools will not listen to rebuke. Here's the next principle. Fools need to be rebuked. You see? See the point? Fools are not going to listen to rebuke, but at times, and for the need of the moment, fools need to be rebuked. What do we mean? Well, here's the first. The first proverb shows us that fools will not listen to rebuke, and if you respond to them, that is, fire with fire, like with like, tit for tat. You end up being just like them, and that's what's... That's what Solomon is warning his sons not to do. In other words, don't fight with them just as they're fighting with you, using the same tactics. We might even say it something like this, with carnal weaponry. In other words, don't go down to their level. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. Uh, don't answer a fool according to his own tactics. Don't take him on with his own game. Why? Because what he's doing is that he's operating on a carnal level. He's using all the illegitimate means at his disposal to win the argument, to prove that you're actually a fool and that he's not. Don't submit yourself to that. In fact, do you remember 2 Corinthians chapter 10? Verses 3 to 5, this is, this is an excellent New Testament passage that shows us exactly what Solomon's talking about. Chapter 10, verses 3 to 5 of 2 Corinthians. 
Here's what he says. For though we walk in the flesh, that means though we're human beings, we're fleshly, we're human beings, we do not war according to the flesh. That is, we don't use human weaponry, carnal weaponry. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In other words, when we argue against lofty speculations, against the lofty speculations of the fool and his folly, we don't argue according to that folly. We don't argue according to the weapons of human weaponry, human warfare. We're not carnal as they are. We raise our arguments up to the very level of divine prerogatives. We, we tell fools what they need to hear, not by stooping to their level. We don't answer a fool according to his folly. Why? If you stoop to that level, if you degenerate into their own argumentation, their tactics, you'll become like them. That's what Solomon says here. You, you will be like them. Don't do that. What does a fool do? Chapter 17 of Proverbs, verse 12. Let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Don't even be anywhere around the degenerating level of a fool. You'd better meeting a bear robbed of her cubs. Chapter 23, verse 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool for he will despise the wisdom of your words. You say, well, that's pretty airtight. That's, that's true. He'll despise the wisdom of your words. But if you degenerate into the level of answering him on his own terms, you're going to lose and ultimately he'll influence you more than you'll be influenced. You'll be influencing him. That's true. That's absolutely true. Chapter 29, verse 9. When a wise man has a controversy with a foolish man, the foolish man either rages or laughs and there is no rest. Don't you just love how these Proverbs are so, so wise, so practically wise. Solomon's advice to his own sons, don't take their tactics on. Don't answer them according to his own folly. You'll get caught up in it yourself. And you've seen that. I've seen that. People debating non-Christians, fools, and they degenerate in this debate down to name-calling, right? Down to character assassination. And what does that look like for Christianity? You come to be very jaded yourself in the process. And some of those debaters have fallen by the wayside themselves. Some of those Christian debaters themselves have degenerated into character assassination and name-calling and rumor-mongering, just not a good practice. John Kitchen writes, the point seems to be not, <clears throat> excuse me, not to lower oneself to the fool's methods and manner of argumentation. It is easy to be drawn in a tit-for-tat exchange. What begins as a simple attempt to silence the folly can soon become an argument which leaves you looking as foolish as the fool. That's right. Fools 
They just won't be rebuked. But they need to be at times. That's principle number five, characteristic number five. Look at verse five. Answer a fool as his folly deserves that he not be wise in his own eyes. You know why I think Solomon puts this proverb right next to the one going before, or at least the editors, Hezekiah's editors? Because if left to itself, verse 4 would give us some kind of uh, holy huddle where we would never be interacting with the fools of this world. Because all we would know, all that we'd be instructed in would be something like this. Don't answer a fool according to his folly so that you would not be like him, you'd not be turned into him. And we'd all say, well, that's good then. Don't interact with any foolish people in the whole world. We'll just have our holy huddle. It's us four, no more. Close the door. Hence, verse 5, answer his folly as it is deserved. In other words, he speaks of a way that you can engage the unbeliever, and that is to answer his folly as it deserves, as the NASB translates, and I think rightly so. In other words, if every foolish person, characteristically so, is such that you will not see him be rebuked, that doesn't mean you, you stop trying. Because perhaps God, in His grace, in His wisdom, through your witness, through my witness, might allow somebody, through God opening their eyes, to see the other foolishness of their folly and be saved. You see? Absolutely. Look at, look at 2 Timothy This is what I think is is right at the heart of 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is how you can coalesce these passages together, how to make them make sense. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, and those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Look at verse 23, But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations. You see, that's that's sort of like verse 4 that we just studied, knowing that they produce quarrels. You see, don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like them. Don't degenerate into the foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they only produce quarrels. Verse 24, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness. Here it is, here's verse 5, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and that they come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. Ah, there's the balance. Uh, Don't don't degenerate into foolish and ignorant speculations. It's not going to prove anything. It's not going to do anything. Don't debate somebody about how many heads fit on the head of the beast How many angels can dance on the head of a pin needle? Don't degenerate into those things. They're foolish. They're ignorant. They're speculations. Who cares? Talk to them about their life. Talk to them about how they think. Talk to them about their relationship with Christ. Talk to them about sin. Talk to them about judgment. Talk to them about hell. Talk to them as a patient, gentle corrector that perhaps God may grant them repentance. I think that... That's what Peter's driving toward in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 11, 
Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, that's, that's what we are in this world, to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. And then, verse 15, For such is the will of God that by doing right your life, your lifestyle, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. That's why it says in verse 12, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation, the day that God visits them. This is, this is crucial. See, we're not saying that you never answer a fool according to his folly in the sense that you never interact with the outside world with foolish people. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, You're not to return evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. That's that's Proverbs 26.4. And here's Proverbs 26.5, verse 15 of 1 Peter 3. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. See, that's the balance. That's what we're called upon to do. John Kitchen says, The command rests upon the concern, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Is this genuine concern for rescuing the fool from his folly? Yes. More likely, it is a concern that he view himself as having outwitted you, silencing you by his wisdom. In other words, if you've got a fool and he doesn't hear from you because you've thought, well, verse 4 says, don't answer him according to his folly... Well, he may assume that he's outwitted you by his grand wisdom. Ah, I've made another convert. John Kitchen says, Others, observing his assumed victory, may conclude by your silence that he is correct and his folly will spread. The snare of self-congratulated wisdom is open to all, the fool and the rich alike. When the condition sets in, the fool can see nothing. The concern here seems to be for those who observe the fool who believes because of a lack of response from the wise man that he has overcome him. As he struts about in his arrogance, others will be prone to follow him without discernment. For this reason, in some cases, it is right to answer a fool as his folly deserves. I mean, we can't let every single one of them assume they've won the verbal battle. Some of them need to be answered as they deserve to be answered. They need to be rebuked. Here's another one, characteristic number six. Fools will always get you into trouble. Read in there, parents, whom your children are hanging around with. Fools will always get you into trouble. Proverbs 26, 6. He cuts off his own feet and drinks violence who sends a message by the hand of a fool. A fool will get you into trouble because if you send him with an important message and he does not faithfully deliver it, much harm could be done. He's not trustworthy. He's not dependable. You can't count on him. You must find a trustworthy messenger. A fool cannot be trusted to deliver the right message at the right time in the right way. 
He can't. I love Trimper Longman's comment on this. The proverb in verse 6 parodies the stupidity of sending a message via a fool. This is compared in the first instance to cutting off one's feet. Perhaps this suggests that the message will never be delivered. In the second place, it is compared to drinking violence, which may suggest that the one who sent the message will be harmed due to the incompetence of the one who carries his message. In other words, you need a trustworthy God, you need a trustworthy messenger, you send him with a message, he doesn't deliver it because he's not trustworthy, in fact, maybe even garbles it on the way, or he gives the opposite message that you intended, and then all of a sudden, the one for whom you intended the message to receive, receives the wrong message, and now he's seeking revenge, because it's opposite of what you intended. And you could have solved the whole thing by not having that man, whoever he may be, a fool, deliver the wrong message. Longman says, perhaps a lost message, the garbled nature of the message is delivered, or even the disrespectful way in which a fool might deliver a message. Any of these may lead the intended recipient to seek revenge. Perhaps simply the fact that the message is not delivered or is delivered in a negative way will lead to some bad response or no response which may harm the sender financially. You see, in that time and in that place, sending a message like that also may have meant your own funds, your own livelihood, your own material goods. You've got to have a faithful messenger. And a fool just doesn't match up to that. This is amazing. Look at chapter 25 of Proverbs, verse 11. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Oh, you want that messenger to send the right message with the right manner in the right way. If, if your business ultimately was determined about the messages that you're sending, do you think it would give you the importance of the messenger who's sending it? Of course. Of course. Look at verse 13. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Verse 25. Like cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a distant land. Bottom line, here it is. Never ask a fool to do a wise man's job. Never ask a fool to do a wise man's job. You can't trust him. It's not faithful. Number seven, fools think all sound wisdom is meaningless. This is is the portrait of a fool, my friends. Are you one of them? Well, you are if you think all sound wisdom is meaningless. Look at verses seven and nine. Like the legs which are useless to the lame, so is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Verse nine. Like a thorn which falls into the hand of a drunkard, so is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Is that graphic or what? It's incredible. I mean, Solomon just just nails the principles of life like the principle of a fool with all of the things that we could readily identify with in life. And one is this. If you had a man who was a fool, and he had a proverb in his mouth. And you would assume that that meant he was on some kind of a speaking tour 
or that he was in some kind of conversation, right? And he's got this proverb in his mouth, and presumably it's a biblical proverb. It's something that somebody told him from the Bible, maybe even from Solomon himself, because Solomon had thousands of them, and this fool is walking around, and he thinks he's going to teach, he thinks he's going to instruct, and he may even utter a particular proverb, and you know what its effect is? Nil. Zero. Nada. No effect at all. Why? Because the people know who he is. They probably might even say something like this, well, you're a hypocrite because you're not even living that out. Why should we believe you? Or maybe he's got a proverb and maybe he garbles the proverb, right? We've already just seen that the, the fool garbles the message. He's got a proverb in his mouth, but you know what good it's like? It's like this. Legs on a lame man. Don't do anything. Useless. It's like, a, it's like a drunk guy who's so insensitive to pain that he's walking around and he's stumbling all over the place and maybe he's in the dark and all of a sudden he trips and falls and maybe in order to brace his fall, he just grabs something on the way down and guess what he grabs? A thorn bush. But he's so drunk that a thorn goes into his hand and he doesn't even feel it. That's like a fool who's got a proverb in his mouth. Means nothing. Not sensitive to it. Maybe not even sensitive to his own conscience with the proverb that's even in his own mouth. This is amazing. This is the portrait of a fool. He's got the proverb right in his mouth. But he doesn't go into the conscience, into the heart. He's not living it out. He's like a drunk man who falls and he should be saying, Ouch! He looks down at his hand and he's got a thorn sticking in it. And he should be saying, This is painful. Somebody get it out. He's insensitive even to his own needed pain response. It's like a proverb in a mouth of a fool and it means nothing. There's no sensitivity even to his own conscience. This is, this is a biblical proverb which is in the joke of the mouth of a fool. He doesn't really believe it. He's, he's not really going to live it out. He's, not, he, he's got it in his mouth and he thinks he's wise. But he's like a lame man that doesn't have any use of his legs or a drunk man who can't even be sensitive to his, his own pain tolerance. <laughs> Bridges says, When the thorn goes up into his hand, his insensibility only makes the wound more deadly. Thus the fool's parable, his wise sayings, gathered he scarcely knows whence, go up into him like a thorn sharply pricking his conscience. Yet he feels no compunction, no alarm. Sad indeed is the sight. The parable, the proverb, our divine master's wise and holy instruction in the mouth of a fool is perverted and contradicted by his unholy life. It's true. It's a, it's a fool, a non-Christian. Proverbs 17, 16 says it this way. Why is there a price in the hand of a fool to buy wisdom when he has no sense? It's worthless, needless. Here's another one. Fools should not be hired. Verse 10. Like an archer 
who wounds everyone, so is he who hires a fool or who hires those who pass by. Now, this is hard. This is a hard one. It's a hard one because probably in a gathering like this with hundreds and hundreds of people, there are several translations. And if you look at your Bible and you have a particular translation, you read something that's totally different than what I just read. Why is that? Well, because... The Hebrew text of this proverb can have a couple of different meanings even by the one or two Hebrew words that would make it much different than another kind of proverb. And so, for instance, look at the King James Version if you have it. The great God that formed all things both rewardeth the fool and rewardeth transgressors. That doesn't sound anything like the one I read in the NASB, right? Or the New King James Version. The great God who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. That sounds even more different. How about the RSV or the ESV? Very similar. Like an archer who wounds everybody is he or is one who hires a passing fool or drunkard. Yeah, the word drunkard. Or the NIV. Like an archer who wounds at random is he who hires a fool or any passerby. What? Which one is it? This isn't biblical roulette. Take your pick. It's just very difficult sometimes to figure out from these ancient languages exactly what is the right translation. This is difficult. But I think the NASB is getting at it. And you know what it says? Like an archer who wounds everyone, so is he who hires a fool or who hires those who pass by. You can get it from my outline point. Don't hire a fool. It's something like this. You've got an archer, and that archer has some kind of conniving, some kind of masterminded plan that he's going to take the arrows and he's going to start wounding everybody, sort of like a terrorist, Uh, somebody who is bent on wounding everybody around him. Now, we wouldn't want to be at the archery range with anybody like that, right? Well, like that, like some demented archer who's trying to wound everybody with every arrow he can find, so it is when a fool is hired in your place of business. It would be like Solomon saying, someone's just walking by your place of business and you need somebody to hire and he's walking along. You don't know him. He doesn't know you. He's a complete stranger. And you say, hey, would you like to work for me today? Look, I'll hire you at this wage and I want you to do this job. You don't know him. You don't know anything about him. Maybe he's just gotten out of the insane asylum. Maybe he's just gotten out of prison. You don't know anything about him. He could be bilking your company. He could be stealing from you. He could do a lousy job. And so could a fool. Maybe the fool is the passerby. It's like an archer that just bends back the bow and he's wounding everybody in sight. Just hire a fool. Just just hire him for your business. No businessman sets up the business and says, hmm, I think today I'll hire all fools and no wise people. It just doesn't go together. Fools should not be hired. You'll be wounded. Your company will be destroyed. Here's another. Fools will inevitably repeat their folly. Verse 11. Like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Is that graphic enough for you? 
This is... By the way, this is the second time in two chapters of the Proverbs that the word vomit is mentioning. Someone said to me the other day, did you have to mention vomit four times? <laughs> I know, but see, that's the whole point. Solomon is graphically teaching his sons. He's warning them. And how do you warn people sometimes? You give them the most graphic language you could possibly tell them, and you tell them something like this. Look, I'm going to tell you that fools constantly repeat their volley. What could I think of that would liken a fool and his folly in repeated fashion? Hmm, well, it's like that dog you see running around. Now, surely in the ancient world there were domesticated dogs. We know that. There were sheep dogs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But most of the dogs that they would have been aware of would have been those mangy dogs, those violent dogs, those dogs that are always running around seeking whom they may devour, seeking what they can eat. And there are those filthy kinds of dogs. They're out of control. They're wild. And those dogs would go up somewhere after eating a carcass. And after eating a carcass, they would go away somewhere looking for another carcass to eat. And if they couldn't find anything else, and if the carcass they ate was somehow diseased, am I graphic enough? that they would return to the very place where they threw up all of the carcass entrails and they would start licking it again and lapping it up. I think that's probably enough. <laughs> and Solomon is saying, just like that, a fool repeats his folly over and over and over. He returns to his foolish vomit time after time after time. It's true. In fact, this is exactly what Peter quotes as a proverb to refer to false teachers. He says in 2 Peter 2.22, It has happened to them according to the true proverb, to false teachers, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. You get that animal just all cleaned up, all spiffy, you know? Wow, what an amazing looking animal. And as soon as she gets right out of the sud and soap cleansing, she goes right back to the mire, right back to the slop. That's what a false teacher does. He can't get enough of his own self-aggrandizement. That's, that's what a fool does. He just returns again and again and again to his own stench. Amazing. Repeats his folly. Ten and last. Fools have no hope. They have no hope. Verse 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. You say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Solomon appears to be saying that there is more hope for a fool than for a proud man. It's as though he's saying that there is a, a slim glimmer of hope for the fool as over against the proud man. And you know, that's exactly what he's saying. That is what he's saying. There's more hope for a fool than for a man who's wise in his own eyes, for a proud man. You say, what's he doing? I mean, for all of these verses and all of these nine characteristics, these nine aspects of the portrait of a fool, he's been dogging the fool. He's been showing us 
how not to be a fool, what the characteristics are of a fool. And now he's saying there's more hope for a fool than a proud man? Yes. How so? Because unless the fool is also a proud man, God may actually in His grace open the eyes of a foolish man so that he could see the life he's been living. Oh, a fool doesn't have any hope. That's true. Fools have no hope. Except for this. There is salvation possible even for a fool. You say, I know there is because I was one. And guess what? So was I. I was a fool. I lived those nine things. I was a fool. My whole growing up years, those teenage years, I was a foolish boy. And I was headed for hell. Just as sure as any foolish man is. And God in His grace, His matchless, marvelous grace, and only His grace, caused a foolish boy to be awakened to his condition. Is that you? Right now in your own heart, even as a fool, and you might be fighting the characterization of your life as a fool. No, not me. No, you got somebody else pegged, not me. But the Spirit of God, convicting, Challenging you, opening your eyes, even that slim glimmer of hope where you say, and maybe to yourself and to no one else, I think I'm that fool. I, I, I think the Lord is, is speaking to me this morning. I'm the fool of Proverbs 26. That's, that's who I am. Well, if you're saying that to your heart right now, men, women, Boys and girls, if you're saying that to yourself right now, that may very well mean that God is opening your eyes to see that you're a fool. And only God can do that. Only Jesus Christ can open up eyes and ears to the truth that your foolish condition is sending you to hell. Don't go to hell. Don't go to hell as a fool. Bruce Waltke says this, the sage, Solomon, cracked that door open by suggesting that a rod is fitting for a fool, verse 3, and, and opened it wider by the admonition to rebut the fool before he becomes wise in his own eyes. In other words, maybe Solomon is saying here in this last verse that you're a fool, but before you digress to being wise in your own eyes to the ultimate rejection of Jesus Christ, He's opened it a crack, a slim crack, so that you might be rebutted, and in this case, rebutted by the Word of God. You say, that's my life, that's who I am, that's, that's what my whole life is like, I don't like it. That's why Proverbs 3, 7 says, do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 
you say, yes, I, I, I want that. I, the Lord is, is causing me to see, even this morning, even right now, that I've been living a foolish life. I've been a fool. It's, it's characterized me. It's dogged me. I, I, I didn't know it. I, I had no realization of it, except right now, right as the Word of God is penetrating my heart. And that's why Proverbs 1 says this. This is so clear. Proverbs 1.20. Listen to it. This is the final thing I'll, I'll say. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she, wisdom, cries out, just like I'm doing this morning. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Listen now, very carefully. Turn to my reproof, wisdom says. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called, wisdom's calling, and you refused. I stretched out my hand, and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel, and did not want my reproof. And if that's you, here's the warning. Here's what wisdom says. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, And it may be that circumstantially, somebody's being beset with that right now. You're in the pew, you're hearing it, and distress and anguish and calamity is coming upon you, and you're fighting it, and you're saying no to it, and you're not listening to the rebuke of Lady Wisdom. And if you walk out of here refusing to acknowledge the truth of the Word of God, verse 28, then they will call on me, But I, wisdom, will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. But here's this glimmer of hope. Here it is. Last verse. Proverbs 1. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. What's your choice, foolish person? Let's bow together in prayer. Oh, Father, don't allow any fool to walk out of this place still remaining a fool.
Open those hearts. Clear out those ears. Open their eyes. Don't let fools think they're going to be honored. Who curse the righteous, who need constant punishment, who won't listen to rebuke, but who need to be rebuked, who always are getting themselves and others in trouble, who think all sound wisdom is meaningless, who shouldn't be hired for any job, who will inevitably repeat their own folly time and time again, and who have no hope, no hope of ever getting out of that foolish life and lifestyle. Except, be it by the grace of God and through the person of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for sinners, fools, and fools who repent by that grace of God can cease to be fools and who can be wise who can fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Oh, fool, today, don't hate knowledge. Receive it. Receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ by repentance and faith. Cease to be a fool this day. And you can become a wise man headed to heaven who fears the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.